Hello and welcome to the Rubber Duck Dev Show. I'm Chris. I'm Creston. And tonight we talk about the dark side of open source. Um, but before we get into that fun, uh, let's talk about the work week in review. What'd you do this week? So <clears throat> from last week, a lot of what I spend my time on is Ruby 3.0 upgrade for my apps. So like I mentioned in previous episodes, I definitely wait a while. In this case, I waited a year from the point at which a new version of Ruby was released till I'm actually live on it. And as of now, all my apps are now live on Ruby 3.0. But you know, the process of going through that is basically switching over to the version of run your tests and see what works, doesn't work. You know, can you start the server? Can you start a console, et cetera? And usually there's a number of gems that haven't caught up. Now, after a year, they've pretty much caught up or they're not catching up. Right. So, and specifically, we're going to talk about here, part of the dark side of open source is kind of how we got the idea for this post is some of the gems I had to deal with and said, oh, geez, what am I? And namely, with a CSV uploads that I had to deal with for parsing. Mm -hmm. So kind of wanted to or Excel document parse. So kind of wanted to talk about that, but that's pretty much, uh, and there was some consulting that I did, uh, some little jobs, nothing major, uh, but basically the, the pro big project for the week was moving on to Ruby 3.0. So what about you? Cool. Well, I got my, my big <laughs> refactor done and out of the way finally. So got that up and got it first, first round of engineering review, had a few little nitnoids to address this morning but uh it's it's about ready to go to the dev test environment which is nice so that feels good getting that out of the way um and a bunch of little elevated support ticket things and dealing with our big client and meetings and meetings and meetings and meetings and meetings <sighs> but you know sometimes you just have those weeks but yeah, I'm looking. I'm actually looking forward to getting into more of the. I'm working some more on project management flow, information flow, system design stuff for the company. So that's kind of fun. That's cool. Yep. And I mean, another, some of the other stuff I did is I spent a ton. I've been spending a ton of time really the last number of weeks. It's not related to the Rubber Duck Dev Show but marketing for particular product. I've been spending an inordinate amount of time doing that, but that's just business, 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 business. You know, it's not really <laughs> yeah. programming and whatnot. Whee! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I'm getting ready to do my taxes and wee! Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, A little God. bit of bookkeeping. Uh, wee! <laughs> Uh, somebody give me a fork to stab in my eye. Um, all right. So on to the dark side. Welcome to the dark side. That's my horrible Darth yeah, Vader impression. Get, yeah, I know. You're a little bit of hyperventilating. <laughs> you should get a brown paper bag or something. Um, anyway, so before we get started with talking about the dark side of open source, I just want to preface this with... I love open source. I love the open source movement. Both of us use it a lot. I've been using it my entire career. I've benefited from it. 
I've tried to contribute some to it as, as much as my little brain can be useful in it. Um, and, and it's, I think open source is not a bad thing. It's a fantastic thing. So let's just get that out of the way. Here, here. But there are some things that you need to be aware of and some things that sometimes happen that, that can be problematic with open source, um, more so than problematic with closed source, um, products. Now, there are a lot of commonalities. I mean, both of them can have problems for, for sure. Both of them can sometimes have the same problems, but open source doesn't necessarily mean you're safe, right? So um, when, we, when we point a lot of this stuff out, it's going to be from a perspective of sharing the information and the experiences with you so you know kind of what to look out for and what to be prepared for when you're evaluating and integrating open source uh, code bases into your stuff, especially if you're doing it in a business environment, because if you're just doing it in a funsies project, none of this stuff really matters. But if you're doing it in a business environment, there are some things that you really want to try to be careful of. So let us first talk about some of the potential issues with open source. And we will start with your wonderfully fun discovery <laughs> this past week. <laughs> Yeah, so like I mentioned, upgrading to Ruby 3.0, ran the tests, and all the things that were failing were, were related to CSV parsing or Excel document parsing. So I was like, okay, what's up with that? So it was basically, I use the Roo gem, R-O-O gem, which is a you know, Ruby library. And I went and looked it up. Weren't, I wasn't on an old version. And then I looked at the issues tab for GitHub and I see all these issues saying, please release a new gem, please release a new gem, please release a new gem. Is this going to be compatible with, you know, Ruby 3.0 or, you know, a lot of this, I was like, and these are months old. So I'm thinking, oh boy. And then there's, there was even a post in the, in the issue tag was, is this gem abandoned? You know, so I'm thinking, oh, geez, this is a whole lot of, <laughs> whole lot of stuff going on. So I, I looked at it, I was like, so now at this point, I had a couple of different thoughts. I'm like, okay, I could just, can I find a viable replacement? Usually that's the first thing I think about because looking at it, it looks like, all right, this is probably, probably, that's usually my first thing I do. Is there a replacement if it has clearly seemed abandoned? And it may not be abandoned, but I saw different references to say people that were, were supporting it. Someone reached out to them. They said, oh, I don't have time for it anymore or something. So it looks borderline abandoned, although there seems to be great interest in it. And there's a place you can go and look at ratings of different gems. And Rue is pretty high up there still for working with CSV files. So I was like, all right. So, then, so basically, I started looking for a replacement because... The other thing I could have done is actually participate and start joining the open source com community of Rue and building towards making it better. But <clears throat> because of this other gem I found, I decided kind of not to take that route because that would be a big, 
uh, I don't know how much of a commitment, but but it would definitely be a bigger commitment than I would be accustomed to in terms of my experience with with open source stuff. Um, so basically, I looked at the did some googling, looked at the gems available, and I actually found upon one that was called XSV, and it's called XSV because it works with. All right, let me take a step back for a second. So what was great about Rue is that you could give it a CSV file, you could give it an Excel file, and it automatically is able to parse it and work it with works and work with those files with the same API. In other words, the same type of calls you make towards it. Well, I knew Ruby, the recent versions of Ruby have CSV capabilities built in. And a lot of the gems only focus on doing or some of the gems I discovered only work with the Excel files. So I'm thinking, okay, well, I can do CSV with pure Ruby and I can use one of these gems to do the uh, Excel document parsing. So I actually found a gem that only did that. And it was actually fine-tuned for blazing speed. And this is exactly what I was looking for. So it's called XSV. It's called XSV because it works with Excel less X files, the, the open source format of Excel not the old binary XLS format. So that's where the X comes from. And it's supposed to be like a replacement for CSV. So instead of comma separated variable, they're kind of calling it X separated variable. So it's basically a way to just parse a simple sheet as fast as possible, basically rows and columns, parse it and get it loaded in. And that's exactly what I need it for because I'm basically supporting people being able to upload different records in different places by giving me either a CSV file or an XLX X sheet. So that was perfect, perfectly. God, I hated when they added that extra X in there. That I made know, it so I hard know, to know. say. Freaking Microsoft. But that made it a perfect replacement in what I was looking for. And it was much faster than the others. So overall, I'm happy with my decision to kind of move to this new gem. And of course, it was Ruby 3.0 compatible. And yeah, the only downside in terms of making the transition was um, I wish that the APIs between Ruby's CSV and XSV, the API that they chose to go with, were more similar. I was able to get them working using 95, 99% identical code, but there was a little bit that was, yeah, a little bit different. So I had to rework some things, but 99% of the code is identical using the same code paths, whether you're doing an XSX import or a CSV import. Maybe I should just call it an XSV import. Just call it Excel. That's what I ended up doing. Because <laughs> I, I just never could say that. For some reason, that was just a tongue twister. So that's kind of the path that I choose to go. Yeah. I chose to go, basically. And, and that's, yeah. that illustrates one of the potential issues with open source, which is project abandonment. So, um, you know, that, that can happen. That's not always catastrophic, but... Um, you know, if there's a gem that you've been using for years and you've got a lot of stuff built around it and it's a core part of your um, of your app 
and all of a sudden it's abandoned and then you've got a Ruby upgrade that it's not compatible with, now you're kind of in a sticking place. So yeah, with open source, you could get the source yourself and, and modify it, right? But if you're in a business environment, yeah. that's a that's a big time commitment. That costs a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, you've got to get your manager to approve something like that. Yeah, right. Um, and, you know, so it's it's not... It's not a small thing when a when a project gets abandoned like that that you're relying upon. Now, I'm not saying that that the people who do open source owe it to to somebody to keep that project going forever. I mean, they've got it, this is a a labor of love basically. It's a gift. So, you know, they don't owe that to anybody. But it's something you need to be considering when you're looking at putting things into your app. If this thing just gets abandoned, am I going to be able to deal with that? Um, another potential concern with open source is legal exposure and security um, compliance concerns. Because if you're depending on an open source um, plugin or or gem or whichever you know, thing you're using, and they do an update that ends up causing a a leak that gives you some kind of legal exposure. Let's say it, it exposes... Let's say, for instance, you have Devise for your authentication. And for some reason, Devise puts out an update, and all of a sudden, it makes all the passwords in your database... Uh, plain text, right? And just exposes all that stuff. You've got a if you're a business that that has customers that interact with your stuff, especially if you've got uh customers that pay through your site, you've got a massive problem at that point. So you have to be really careful about that kind of stuff. Um sometimes it you know that doesn't happen a lot, but it happens. Um, I've I've gotten things before where, in some open source code, where um, the the maintainers made some changes, and they were significantly breaking changes that they put out, and they didn't have any heads up or any any kind of branch path or something like that, and it was just boom, everything doesn't work. So. I'm back on this, you know, I have to roll back a version, right. which is fine until I have to upgrade Ruby or Rails or something else, and that old version no longer works. Yeah, and then you're faced with a question, all right, what do I do about this? Do I, you know, participate in it to try to make the necessary changes? Do I abandon it, find something else, et cetera? Right. And... You know, there's also hacking issues that happen. For instance, in 2014, OpenSSL was hit with that Heartbleed problem, that hack. That was a big deal. That cost billions of dollars, and it caused all kinds of problems for a lot of companies. Uh, and just, what, two months ago or so, we had that Log4j hack problem. You know, so this isn't this stuff isn't limited to Ruby or Rails or plugins. This happens in Linux. It happens with... Uh, JavaScript, Windows. it happens with, yeah, 
you know, everything, anything that's open source is subject to this, this issue. But, and, and actually that, the other interesting thing, at least about this uh, gem in terms of the security concern is that, you know, there are the package manager for gems that most people use is bundler. So it bundles things up and you can use a command bundle outdated and it will show you your, your outdated gems. Well, if this gem is still, is not coming up on bundle up, updated because you're on the most recent version, but yet it hasn't been updated in forever. So it doesn't work with recent versions of Ruby, et cetera. Right. And then what if there's, you know, there are a lot of security releases for things that have to parse things. Like for example, the XML parser or HTML parser most used in Ruby is Nokogiri, if that's how you pronounce it. I don't, even, I don't know if I've ever heard how it's pronounced, yeah. but Nokogiri. And I probably have updated that gem more than any other gem in my projects due to all of the security issues that have been made because of it. Because again, you're parsing HTML, XML, things are very complicated. Well, I think some of the, the some of these gems like Roo rely upon it, on that gem. So are there hidden security issues, the fact that it hasn't been updated in however so long? Right. Yeah, and it's, sometimes that's hard to keep track of. Bundler has a lot of nice things in it and, and other platforms where it'll kind of monitor for CVEs and give you reports if there's a CVE reported and say, hey, this gem needs to be updated and stuff like that. But it can't catch everything. So if, if you know, like if Rue has been abandoned for five years, nobody's going in there and reporting CVEs for Rue for the most part. So you don't even know that there's an issue or an exposure. So you want to be careful about, even if you're reliant on um, automated systems to kind of keep you up to date with that kind of stuff, you still want to go and check the, the re repositories every once in a while to see, all right, this hadn't been updated in three years. Maybe I better start looking for some alternatives to this before I get backed into a corner here. Um, you know, at least start developing a plan if things go sideways with it. Now, some stuff doesn't ever need to be updated. I mean... There are there are gems out there that haven't been updated for ten years, and they're perfectly fine because they're doing some innocuous stuff, um, and they're not really dependent on Ruby or Rails in particular, or you know they're dependent on such ubiquitous things that that they don't care if it gets updated. But for the most part, you want to see some kind of movement on gems, even if they're just being repackaged for new versions of Rails or new versions of Ruby or something. Um, so be, you know, be careful about those things. And those, those are kind of the over the, the broad stroke issues that you might run into with open source stuff. The things that you want to think about when you're investigating an open source, um, product for use, especially in your business. Um, and I think we should also add that, you know, this applies to closed source too, because there's plenty of products that become abandoned. Oh yeah. And then the problem, if they're closed source, is you're really 
up the creek without a paddle. Oh yeah. Because you don't have you don't have the source code. So your only alternative is a, is finding <laughs> your only alternative is finding an alternative. Right. So you can't like rewrite it. You can't adjust the code to fix something about it. You don't even you don't even know how the internals necessarily work. I, hello, Windows Vista. What? You know, that, and none of these issues are not concerns with closed source stuff. Or you, you, yeah, unique to open source. Right. Yeah. So um, don't don't think we're saying that. But um, these do have things you – because what I've run across is some people think open source, and they'll talk about it. Oh, it's open source. I don't have to worry about it. it you know, well, yeah, you kind of do because things happen. I've seen a lot of things happen. So um, let's talk about some of the specifics of, of things that have gone bad in open source. Um, namely, disappearing acts and bad actors. So this is, this is uncommon. It's rare, but it does happen. And some of them are pretty interesting um, stories. Some of them are kind of nasty stories, but let's talk about them anyway. So um, one of the things that that happened um, just in this past October was the UA parser JS NPM was hacked. That, that repo was hacked. And it had it put out releases that had crypto miners and trojas included in them. And that went to a lot of people and it was really bad um so you know and this just happened in october so the, the open source community doesn't have this all figured out yet it can you know it's not perfect there's a lot of things that have been um helped along like bundler has the the um checker to make sure that you're getting the right version of things and um What's it checking the SHA five or the I can't remember what it's checking now, but I mean it's basically code signing stuff. Yeah. So there's extent. you know, code signing is happening, the the and there's other things that are kind of trying to keep things on track, but it it's never gonna be perfect. And as has been since the advent of computers, the smarter anti hackers get, the smarter the hackers get. And it's just a, a leapfrog game. But so the stuff still gets hacked, and that you know that happened in October, and it was a big deal. Um, one of the other things that happened, and this is this was going back and reading more about this was kind of nostalgic for me because I was around when this was going on. Um, but back in two thousand nine, uh, a Rubyist, a really popular Rubyist by the name of Why the Lucky Stiff, just disappeared overnight. Just everything gone like his twitter went away his all his websites went away his repos everything just boom people woke up in the morning and it was he was not there anymore cyber suicide um and it, that was a big deal because he had written a lot of things that a lot of people were really dependent upon like the h Pricot. I never could say that. HPricot, which was kind of a precursor to Nokogiri. Um, it was the HTML parser everybody used before Nokogiri came along. You notice the trend here? <laughs> yeah. Nokogiri has a lot of security releases. 
this HTML parser, the UA parser JS. Uh -huh. Parsers. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine that. But he he also had written this book called Wise Poignant Guide to Ruby, which was kind of aimed at younger programmers. Um it, and it it was it was a fantastic book. At least I thought so. Um, and he wrote, <clears throat> he made a site called Hackity Hack that was geared towards young, teaching younger people to program. He was very into um, getting more people to learn programming. But all that stuff just went away overnight. Now, a lot of it's back now. But you can imagine that, you know, this, this guy had a huge following. A lot of people used the stuff that he produced, and it just disappeared. Um, so, and, you know, like HPercot and the Hackity Hack were free. I don't know if Hackity Hack was really open source. It was free, but I don't, I don't know that it was open source. But HPercot was just a Rails gem, open source Rails gem. And a lot of people used it. I was using it, and it just went away. And it's not like he stopped updating it. It went away. Like, he shut his repos down. Yeah, but it, it, I mean, it, so in that scenario, you you still got the version that you're sure, yeah. using in your app. It's not like your stuff stopped working. It's just that yeah, yeah. you couldn't go pull the latest code because yeah, it yeah. was gone. So you, you better hope you got the latest stuff before it disappeared. Um, it wasn't, wasn't quite that bad. I mean, it was open source, but it was it freaked a lot of people out. Um, and then, you know, more recently, we've got a thing that, that kind of, all right, I'm going to be soapboxy and judgy about this one, but this whole thing with Marak Squires, Marak, Marak Squire, the Colors JS and Faker JS mess. Mm -hmm. Um, so this guy, the colors.js and the faker.js got released as open source under the MIT license, which basically means anybody can use this for whatever purpose for free forever. That's how it was released, right? And he stopped updating it years ago, which is fine. I, you know, like colors.js doesn't really need an update. It's not, nobody's inventing new colors. So, it's not that's not really a problem but what happened was he when was this like two or three weeks ago something like that maybe yeah. a month he actually corrupted his own stuff and put releases out so when people updated it just destroyed things well destroyed their products because he basically put his stuff to run in an infinite loop that would just put garbage on the screen when when it was loaded. Okay. So, it, you know, it was really nasty. And he did this to his own stuff. And apparently, the reason he did this for his own stuff is he felt that uh, companies were making money off of his freeware and he should be paid for it. And so he just destroyed everything. Um, in 2020, he did a post uh, where he said, respectfully, I am no longer going to support Fortune 500s and other smaller sized companies with my free work. Take this as an opportunity to send me a six-figure yearly contract or fork the project and have someone else work on it. I mean, 
fine. If you don't want to maintain it anymore, you, I, you know, you're not beholden to anybody. It's a gift. But that's like, you don't give somebody a gift and then three years later say, okay, now pay me for that. That, I mean, not to yeah. put too fine a point on it, but that was a dick move. Um, and what really got me is that if you look at the um, the issues tab in these repos, more so in the colors than the faker, I think, but there's a lot of issues in there, and there are a lot of people supporting this move. A lot of people condemning it, but a lot of people supporting it and and basically saying, well, he should be paid for his work. Well, yeah, you should be paid for work that you're hired to do. But if you're going to, if you want to do open source stuff and release something as open source, don't be bitter if somebody uses it. I mean, that's, that's just, I don't know. And, and you know, don't support that kind of activity because all that does is make people distrust open source and it's bad for the open source movement and the open source community. Um, it's not doing anybody any favors. And that's an example of just a bad actor. That was, in my opinion, immaturity and selfishness. Um, and I get that, you know, developers should be compensated for their work when they're hired to do a job. I'm all for that. I, I'm a developer. I, I, I want a paycheck. Sure. But if I'm going to do open source stuff, I understand it's open source. You take it. If I give you an MIT license on it, do with it what you will. It's, it's a gift. You know, and if I run into hard financial times, that doesn't mean I can come back here and, and jack you up and hold you hostage and blackmail you into giving me money because I once gave you a gift. That's, I don't know. I, anyway, soapboxy, but that kind of stuff happens. And those are things you have to be wary of in the open source field. Now that could happen in closed source too, but they, that would absolutely destroy a business. I, I don't think that I've yeah, ever yeah. seen that happen really because um, the business would just people would just stop buying their crap um so so i think we should probably talk about some like mitigation for some of this stuff right because like i know like what i'm thinking about is i think the number one way to mitigate some of this is of course tests. Oh, absolutely. So if you go to upgrade something and it breaks your stuff, okay, then your app is, won't be affected because you'll catch it and it won't be deployed. Right. So that's the number one form of mitigation is having like like you like to say, you know, you must have tests or, or you're a fan of test-driven development. Mm -hmm. I think that's the first form of mitigation. But secondly, you know, it is open source. So not that small organizations would do this, but if you are a large organization that is committed to using a fair amount of open source, you would have the resources to have some sort of engineering or process in place to do diffs of libraries. 
and you can investigate to say, okay, we're going to go from this version to this version. What's the diff of it, the difference in the two versions? And has anything been introduced we don't like? So you could do a full security audit of the code because again, it's open source mm -hmm. if you chose to do that. Right. Yeah. And it's, I mean, even if you're a small company or you're a one man operation or something, you still should have that code. I mean, you know, because worst case scenario, it goes away. Well, at least you can do something about it, or you might be able to hire somebody to come in and deal with it and repackage it or something. So make sure you have the code, which, you know, with Ruby on Rails and Bundler and stuff, you always have the code for gems because it downloads it. But, you know, that's not always the case in other languages and environments. So just make sure you get your open source stuff if you're doing open source. That's that's the best way to mitigate it because, yeah, it may be a little expensive to fix it, but at least you can fix it. Right. And that's the big deal. Um, Do you have any other mitigation strategies yeah, you can think of? One of the things that I do is about once a month, um, I'll kind of go through, I mean, I run, the, the Bundler Outdated gets run a lot, and we have the automated CVE detectors and stuff for Bundler and all that stuff running on our CICD. Um, so we're kind of protected against that stuff, and we kind of know when things are going out of date. Um, if, if they're being maintained, but then once a month, I like to kind of go look at most of our bigger gems, especially the ones that are in the, the production set. Um, and just take a quick look at the, um, code repos at the GitHubs and see, okay, when was the last time this was updated 10 years ago? Okay. Do I care? Eh, maybe, maybe not. Um, if I'm still using something and it hasn't been updated in 10 years, I'm probably fine. But if it's been two years since it's been updated, I may want to start taking a look at, okay, is this going to be problematic when the next version of Ruby and or Rails comes out? And what alternatives do I have if it is? So get prepared ahead of time and, and keep an eye on the open source stuff you use to see what directions it's going. Yeah, but some of that's also, I think there's still the potential to get burned by some dependencies. Oh, sure. Too. So, you know, you may be using a gem, but you are not intimately aware that it maybe one of its dependencies is having an issue or hasn't right. been updated, or it's a dependency that has a narrow restriction on the gem versions allowed and it hasn't been updated in a while therefore you can't move forward you know right yeah you can't completely 100 percent avoid any of these all of these issues but you can kind of reduce the the exposure you'll you have and the footprint of the problem if you kind of stay on top of it as you go um, and if you're prepared for, okay, these things might happen, what do I do if these things happen? Well, I have a couple of alternatives in my back pocket. You know, they, they weren't my first choice, but I can make them work if things go completely pear-shaped here. Um, for, for sure, have tests. And I'm telling you, this crap with the Colors.js and the Faker.js, 
I'm not really feeling terribly well. I mean, I feel bad for the businesses. That was a dick move. But if they'd had tests, it wouldn't have been a big a damn deal as it was. Because they would have caught it before it ever went into the public. So now, I didn't read a whole lot of articles on this. Were there actual sites that had Oh yeah. Significant... Oh yeah. <laughs> and and you know, in that case, you got nobody to blame but yourself. You should have been doing tests. This it's not like test driven development is a new fangled thing here. It's been around although for a long time. Although apparently they're not teaching it at some institutions. Oh God. No, not at all. Um but you know, that's the, that's another thing to mitigate a lot of these problems. A lot of problems you would ever have is have tests, automated tests for your stuff that that solves so many issues. I'm probably just going to say that every freaking episode because every time we talk about a problem, it's well, did you have a test? Why don't you have a test? Good grief! That's it. Hold on, I'm going to step down off my soapbox here. All right. So anyway, yeah, but you know, the moral of the story is be aware that open source stuff isn't just magical and a hundred percent safe and harmless. Bad things can and do happen. That doesn't mean you shouldn't use open source because closed source, bad things can and do happen. But there's there seems to be the people that I the developers that I talk to a lot there seems to be this complacency about um, open source and how dangerous it can be if you don't pay attention to what you're doing with it um, so you know just be prepared think about it when you start bringing open source stuff into your app analyze it take a look at it and say is this actually a wise move do i have a potential for big problems here you know if you're doing something like a you know some innocuous little gem that just is a little helper thing that may not be a big deal but if you're doing something that's you know like devise that's handling all your authentication and and something goes pear-shaped with that that's a problem and so you want to think, well, is this a, a, a good plugin? Is this good open source project? Is it well supported? Is it has it been around a while? Is it um, community approved, basically? You know, that doesn't answer all the questions, but it's a good start. And yeah, because going back to my the Rue example, you know, it is still listed as one of the top gems for working with, you know, CSV or Excel. Right. Files. And I used it in three different projects over my career. It's it's not like it's a, you know, you found this little thing in your corner of the world. It's It was, you know, it's a big gym, or it was. And it happens, you know. Technology changes. People grow up, get married, have kids. They can't do this stuff anymore. They can't spend all their time. You know, just be prepared. Now, on the flip side of the coin, if you're a company, if you, especially if you're a big company and you're using a bunch of open source and, you know, the author, the open source author has like a buy me a coffee thing or something, buy him a cup of coffee. I mean, be cool. Come on. 
you know, they're they're giving their talent away here. It's much appreciated, but you know, let's support them too because they're essentially supporting us. It's, you know, symbiotic relationship. So, you know, the more businesses support them, and if you're a bigger business, I mean, give them a sponsorship or something. Do, you know, if you can afford that kind of stuff, give give back to them a little bit. They're busting their butts here, and they're doing really, really cool things. Um, a lot of which is much better than the closed source for-profit software is doing a lot of times. So, um, you know, support that. Uh, if you're an open source dev, um, don't don't be a dick about things. <laughs> it's just play nice, okay? We appreciate it, but play nice. Um, anyway, I know that was all preachy and soapboxy and stuff from an old grumpy fart, but yeah, I just that that whole colors JS thing really just frosted my cheese. Uh, anyhow, if you guys enjoyed this, don't forget to like and subscribe. You know, mash all the buttons and ding all the bells. Join us every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern for more Dev Talk. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about some refactoring techniques. And if you have a topic idea that you would like to see on the show, please leave it in the comments below. Uh, you can catch our podcast at uh, all the places that podcasts live. Visit rubberduckdevshow.com to sign up for our newsletter and see all our episodes. And follow us on Twitter at DuckyDevShow. Until next time, happy programming. Happy programming. Bye.